I'm John Cannon. I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, December 28th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do start and sometimes or encourage and do, sometimes do start conversations. Uh, we don't do prayers or buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, survival. Uh, we talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives, provide critical thinking to all that is being heaped upon us, and we do it all right here from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams at www.letstalknative.com. We stream live video of the show on Facebook Live or via Facebook Live on our Facebook group pages. Uh, Our shows are available as podcasts after our broadcast, and we take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. Uh, So... Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast uh, by searching Let's Talk Native with John Kane podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel um, by searching Let's Talk Native TV. We are also on Instagram at Let's Talk Native TV and Twitter at Let's Talk Native. Uh, I am the host of Let's Talk Native, and I am assisted here in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our video and our sound. Um, all right, let's get into it. Uh, as I said in you know in my Facebook promo, December's a rough month. Man, We historically, some of the things that have happened to Native people in this month, um, and I'm only going to mention, uh, highlight a few of them. Uh, some of them I've talked about, you know, quite a bit. Um, talked about the uh, execution in Mankato, Minnesota, of the Dakota 38 that took place the day after Christmas. But I'm going to go through. You know, of course, you know, each, there's so many calendar dates that have these events, but when you look at the the span of history, you know, with this uh, with the execution uh, and what was considered the Dakota Wars in 1862, so you're talking about you know the um, you're really talking about the conflicts that were were going on with uh, with Native people through the mid 1800s right to the end end of the, the century, and and I'm talking about armed conflict. I'm talking about um, you know, massacres. And it's not because massacres didn't take place before that, but these are the ones that are well reported. And so I'm, I'm going to go through a, a, a little bit of it. Um, in 1862, uh, earlier in the year, you had Lincoln pass the Homestead Act, and then screwed all the Native people that he um, pressured to to release lands. See, the, the Homestead Act was this. Uh, you know, which had been talked about for for several years, even before Lincoln was the president, was about trying to get white civilians to move move to the west and uh, squat on native lands. So what the federal government did was they said, "Well, we're going to claim those as federal lands." So in order to claim native lands as federal lands, they had to come to some sort of agreement with with native people, and those agreements were 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 absolutely fraud. I mean, and, there, and there's very little question about that. I mean, the, these most of the payments that the federal government was supposed to make in association with these transfer of lands from native land to la- native ownership and native control to federal lands, the payments never got made. They, j- they just didn't get made. Uh, so native people were left without 
not only without getting their, their cash payments, but even some of the provisions that were or, that were negotiated. So, so this Homestead Act in in 1860 would really lead to a lot of conflict. Out of that conflict was um, considered the, the Dakota Wars, and it, it was the Dakota Wars that led to this execution that I've talked about in 1862 of 38 Dakota. Um, the execution order was signed by Abraham Lincoln. It, the execution took place the day after Christmas in 1862. And, of course, the good people of Mankato, Minnesota, came out in droves. There were over 4,000 spectators that couldn't wait to see this. Uh, and, and, again, spectators, spectacle, yeah. They couldn't wait to see the spectacle. The idea of a massive gallows be, uh, that was constructed that could hang 38 people at once. You know, and, and, and Jake made a good mention uh, uh, after a show that I did in, you know, for, for New York. The interesting about the gallows is they arranged it so all of the native people had to face the crowd. I mean, it was a they had they had ropes hung on all four sides of this huge square platform, and so as they lined these guys, this wasn't a row, you know. Uh, this was like this was like theater in the round, literally. I mean, that's that's what a spectacle they made of this thing. So imagine this massive gallows where you had. All these native guys led up the stairs uh, to to face all these white people who could not have been happier to include a good hanging as a part of their Christmas celebration. So that's what took place. Now the other thing that's interesting, and, and I'm I always try to make a point that we have to put history in context. And when people talk about Abraham Lincoln, they never talk about w- what he did and how he screwed over native people. Never talk about that. Yeah, the great emancipator. Well, ironically, it would be one week after this execution that came by his hands, by uh, by his own hand, that he would do uh, and 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 stand at the podium in D.C. and at the White House and and talk about the um, the Emancipation Proclamation. So while history will always speak favorably of Abraham Lincoln. It'll never talk about what what he did to native people. Now, the other thing I think is interesting, and and I and I mentioned I've mentioned this before, but almost four hundred native people were put on trial, almost four hundred, and over three hundred were convicted. Over three hundred three were sentenced to death, but Lincoln decided that 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 would have been way too much and way way too much of an execution. So. He whittled the number down to, to 39 and then ultimately to 38. And the rest would just die in prison. Now, so what were they, what were they being tried for? Well, there was a war. I mean, these were battles that were going on between the Dakota, who had been displaced from the land, had not been paid for, uh, by the federal government for the land they were displaced from. And their lands were invaded by armed white settlers. I mean, people say settlers and everybody thinks of, Michael Landon and the you know and Little House on the Prairie. Well, no, these were armed. These 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 were business transactions. These people who moved into Dakota Territory, they were armed white men, and armed with the specific purpose of fighting off Native people, fighting the Indians. So this was a, a war, and essentially, what what these almost four hundred uh, people were were accused of. Were was um, conducting this war, which resulted in the death of almost five hundred uh, white white people. 
So 400 people put on trial for the deaths of, um, you know, approximately 500, 500 white people. Interestingly, the, the treasonous traitors who attempted to secede from the United States, the Confederate rebels, the Confederacy, the Confederate States of America, those guys were responsible for almost half a million, almost half a million, uh, Union soldiers, you know, uh, you know, you know, men, women, and children from the north. So you have a, I mean, this was by, you know, by constitutional, you know, um, description. I mean, this, this was treason. What what the rebel soldiers had did had done was punishable by death. But not a single rebel soldier, not a general, not a enlisted man, none of the, uh, you know, uh, none of them were ever tried for. For treason or murder or anything else. So half a million people were killed between Union soldiers and, and, and the people who supported them. Half a million and not a single person was tried. They were, they were, you know, granted amnesty. Now they, they couldn't get free land like, uh, like, like the folks in the white, uh, the white folks from the North could. But it's interesting when you set, uh, you know, set these things, uh, these two things in perspective. You've got, Native people who are defending an invasion on their land, who are tried in in a court that wasn't even really um, there, there's no legal basis for the for the way that they were they were tried. Why were they tried? If if it was murder, why wasn't a civilian trial? And if it was uh, enemy combatants, then then why weren't they um, why weren't they tried as an enemy force? Which which you know under rules of war, they would not be tried and and hung for you know for defending themselves or for waging a war that's not what what would happen so it's um it's 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 kind of bizarre on a couple of different levels um but so that's what that's what happens again that's a december issue you know december of 1862 the execution at mankato minnesota by the way um i congratulate those guys who uh who do an annual ride um, to retrace what those uh, those folks who were led to their execution had to uh, had to endure, um, they do a ride every year that leads up to the day after Christmas, um, and they ride to Mankato, Minnesota. They've been doing it for almost ten, I think, over ten years now. So, I uh, congratulate those guys who made it. But let's talk about other things that took place in, in December. In fact, let's go back to the to the very end of November, because on November 29th, and I realize that's not December, but it's almost December. It's it's still the holiday season, right? One of the the most disgraceful and despicable massacres that ever took place happened um, at, uh, it's called the Massacre of Sand Creek, Sand Creek Massacre. And that was in 1864. So that's only a couple of years after um, this execution in Mankato, Minnesota, still under the, the Lincoln administration. And this would be widely reported as just um, all kinds of crimes. I mean, mutilation, women having... Uh, parts of their bodies uh, cut off. Um, there were some, uh, you know, some stories of of people having their the skin flayed off their bodies so they could um, cover books, including the Bible, uh, with them. Men had their scrotums cut off so uh, so the white soldiers could make tobacco pouches. Literally, we're we're cutting up the genitalia of men and women. Uh, you know, on the uh, after the after the carnage of the Sand Creek Massacre, little children were being shot at as if they were just target practice. Here, here, I, there's one description of a child who's wandering around 
um, naked, you know, just barely a toddler, barely walk, walking around looking for among the dead bodies, looking for his mother. And, and the guys pull out their rifles and take turns taking a shot at him. Missed, 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 got him. And this was this account was was actually written of by a reporter. Um, so I mean, it's uh, and that's so again, that's that's November 29th. That's just heading into the you know the the holiday season. Uh, all right, in uh, 1872, this is a, a massacre that most isn't widely talked about. It's called the Skeleton Cave Massacre, and this is another one where, well, just to put, let me back up to put Sand Creek in, in perspective, as many as 500 people were killed, massacred, and two thirds of them, over two thirds of the of that the number of people killed at Sand Creek were women and children. So that's what the United States was re- responsible. For. That's 1864. So 1872. The skeleton cave massacre. A bunch of native people had retreated and were were uh, were, were literally holed up in a, in a cave, and U.S. soldiers were firing upon them. Um, this was just over a hundred men, women, and children who were uh, look. They were they were trying to uh, topple stones on them at the at the mouth of the cave. They were you know creating rock slides. Them. They were shooting at them. I mean, again, this is uh, uh, 18, 1872 and that's on December. That's today. Today's the anniversary of the Skeleton Cave Massacre. Look it up. I mean, anytime I talk about something here on the show, I hope people check the the information, check the uh, you know the, the the data. I guess. I mean, make sure I'm not giving fake news here. If I say something that's wrong, it's because my information's wrong. It's not because I'm trying to make stuff up. But that's called the uh, one of the names. A lot of these these events have different names to them. But that one was called the Skeleton uh, Cave Massacre. Howard's in. Uh, uh, if you look at some of his project, he he covers this, um, and of course, then there's uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, the December 29th is the anniversary of the massacre at Wounded Knee. Now, the massacre at Wounded Knee is famous for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it is essentially what people consider the bookend, the 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 final massacre that the U.S. soldiers um, uh, committed against against Native people. That's 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 one of them. So that's one of the things that it's known for. But there's another interesting aspect to it, and and that that is that um, this was a massacre that was called for. And I, and I've talked about L. Frank Baum, who um, who wrote uh, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, and I've I've spoken about his genocide genocide editorials, or what we call the genocide editorials. And I want to I want to read a little bit of the editorial now. Prior to the massacre at Wounded Knee was the murder of uh, of Sitting Bull, and that took place on December fifteenth. So again, another uh, another December uh, calendar date, right? December fifteenth, uh, Sitting Bull was murdered. I mean, they showed up in the you know at dawn um, to catch him off guard with enough people, uh, and, and they just killed him. They just killed him. So this is what Al Frank Baum, who years before he would write the wonderful Wizard of Oz, he was the editor of the Saturday Pioneer in Dakota Territory. And I'm, I'm going to read this editorial in full. It's not, it's not that long. He writes, Sitting Bull, most renowned Sioux of modern history, is dead. He was not a chief, but without kingly lineage, he arose from a lowly position to the greatest medicine man of his time by virtue of his shrewdness and daring. He was an Indian with a white man's spirit of hatred and revenge for those who had wronged him in his... In his day, he saw his son 
and his tribe gradually driven from their possessions, forced to give up their old hunting grounds and espouse the hard-working and uncongenial avocations of the whites. And these, his conquerors, were marked in their dealings with people by selfish uh, falsehood um, uh, and, and treachery. What wonder that his wild nature, untamed by years of subjection, should still revolt? What wonder that his fiery rage still burned within his breast and that he should seek every opportunity to obtain vengeance upon his natural enemy? The proud spirit of the once owners, of the original owners of this, of the vast prairies inherited through centuries of fierce and bloody wars for their possession lingered last in the bosom of Sitting Bull. With his fall, the nobility of the redskin is extinguished and what few are left are a pack of whining cur who lick the hands that smite them. The whites, by laws of conquest, by justice of civilization, are masters of the American continent, and the best safety of the frontier settlements will be secured by the total annihilation of the few remaining Indians. Why not annihilation? Their glory has fled, their uh, their spirit is broken, their manhood effaced. Better that they die than live the miserable wretches that they are. History would forget these later despicable beings and speak in later ages of the glory of the grand kings of the forest and plain that Cooper loved to heroism. We cannot honestly regret their extermination, but we at least do justice to the manly characteristics possessed according to their lights and education by the reds, by the early redskins of America. Now, keep in mind, the numbers, the population of native people at this point was very few. I mean, we were a few remaining Native people. I mean, the total, uh, by some estimates, there may have been, our population that probably was once close to 100 million people in this in this continent had been reduced to a quarter of a million. And what L. Frank Baum was calling for, and he wrote this editorial, this editorial hit, you know, was out in the world on December 20th, five days after Sitting Bull was murdered. So he was calling for the extermination, the annihilation, just wiping out Native people. Hey, I mean, conquest. I mean, subjugation, imprisonment. None of that stuff was enough for Al Frank Baum. And he was a writer. So when we want to talk about the impact of media, so he writes this on, Dece- on December 20th. Well, on December 29th is when the massacre of Wounded Knee would take place. And again, we're talking about over 300 Native people shot like fish in a barrel. Two-thirds of which, over two-thirds actually, were, were women and children. They were buried in in, in mass graves. I mean, there, there's, there's actually pictures of, you know, this is getting late enough in American history that in the 1890s, there were, they actually, you know, documented this uh, with photos. You can see pictures of frozen bodies lying on, on the ground, dead bodies. You know, the mass graves. And those mass graves, they look a lot like uh, what Hitler would be doing uh, in association with the Holocaust. Big, huge dug trenches and, and just mass, you know, just bodies dumped into it. That was the massacre wounded knee. Now, in case you're wondering, you know, well, this is this was called for by uh, by the editor of a newspaper. Interestingly, he wrote another editorial after the massacre. And and again, he was actually decrying the fact that that even though they were shooting these people like fish in a barrel, 
with their Hotchkiss cannons and the whole bit. Gatlin guns. That some of these, the white soldiers, actually shot each other. Because there was no shooting back. Some of these guys were, were, were injured in their own massacre of Native people. So here's the... Uh, the second editorial, and this was was actually printed on January 3rd uh, of 1891. Uh, the peculiar policy of the government in employing so weak and vacillating a person as General Miles to look after the uneasy Indians has resulted in a terrible loss of blood to our soldiers and a battle which at best is a disgrace for the War Department. There has been plenty of time for prompt and decisive measures, the employment of which would have prevented this disaster. Now, keep in mind, he's calling the disaster the fact that some of these white guys shot each other. The pioneer has before declared that our only safety depends on the total extermination of the Indians. Having wronged them for centuries, we had better, in order to protect our civilization, follow it up by one more wrong and wipe these untamed and untamable creatures from the face of the earth. In this lies future safety for our settlers and the soldiers who are under incompetent commands. Otherwise, we may expect future years to be full of trouble with the redskin as those have been in the past. Then he follows up with a strange quote at the end. He says, an Eastern contemporary with a grain of wisdom in his wit says that when the whites win a fight, it's a victory. And when the Indians win it, it's a massacre. Because they were calling this a battle victory. In fact, they there are purple hearts that were issued to soldiers who were who were wounded in this um and uh, and killed in this um uh in this battle. And of course, history would later correct that and they would not call it a battle. They'd call it they'd call it a massacre. But I think it's you know, it's it's telling because we get into this whole you know um, debate about the power of the media and and not just about fake news I mean, that that's kind of a recent pheno- phenomenon this was an editorial piece this was an editor calling for the massacre extermination calling for for a race of people to be wiped off the face of the earth and i'm not exaggerating that's that's the words he used and, you know, of course, the interesting thing is, you know, for, for anybody who thinks that Lincoln was this great emancipator, well, that's, you're ignoring the, the role he played in, in this kangaroo court and the execution at Mankato, Minnesota. You're ignoring the, the Sand Creek massacre that was under, while he was a commander in chief. And if you're thinking that December is this month of rejoicing peace on earth by the good Christians of the, of the United States, well, that's bullshit too. Four thousand people showed up to watch native people uh, become strange fruit, hung by the, you know, by the scaffolding. There were people, newspapers, calling for the extermination—not just annihilation, but extermination—as if we were a rodent, a pest. You know, just. Vermin. That's the way. But you know, we weren't just talked about that in that way in 1890. We were talked about that way, you know, since uh, since it was the British that were doing it, and the and the French, and the Spanish, and the Dutch, Portuguese, all of them. 
we were looked at um, as an infestation. That's what you call. That's what when an exterminator is needed. It's needed for an infestation. Our lives on our lands were looked at by white people as an infestation. I'm going to take a break here, but you know, I, I also have to mention. I've I've lost a family member. I lost my son-in-law a few years back, December eighteenth, and today, I lost a good friend. I want to, you know, offer my condolences to Cat Carnes for the loss of Ben Carnes. Ben is somebody who I've come to know over the years. Um, we've had, we did. I mean, honestly, we 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 he's been a guest on my show. We've talked a lot about, you know. Uh, some of the things that he's advocated for as a, as an activist, uh, we talk about you know some of the Choctaw stuff. He's uh, been been his Choctaw. We only, we met only once, and ironically, it was at the funeral of my good friend Sugar Montour. And Ben's been battling cancer this year. You know, and, and cancer is you know for for me, it, it's not the same as the disease, the, the smallpox blankets. But much of the cancer that we experience in our territories, in our lands, is the result of just irresponsibility on, on the part of the capitalist system that people want to rave, or, you know, rave, you know, rave about. The military-industrial complex. You know, so whether you're talking about Love Canal, whether you're, whether you're talking about you know, um, uh, San Carlos Apache you know, being contaminated by uh by agent agent orange the pollution the the dumping that has taken place some of my good friends in the Ramapo being having their lands contaminated by by Ford Motor Company and then getting screwed in the settlement uh, uh after after beating them in court no a lot of times the, the the very disease that that our people have had to face were intentional so whether it was smallpox, whether it was you know venereal diseases because of the rape of our women, whether it was tuberculosis and the amount of children that would die in residential schools simply because it was better to don't bother quarantining, no quarantine for for kids in a residential school, just let them die. There was as as, as high at some points the mortality rate was as high as fifty percent. For native kids in residential schools, because of the conditions that they were that were forced to live in, malnutrition, disease, unattended, no no health care. Oh, there were doctors there. There were enough doctors there to do sterilization programs and and, and make it so our our those many of those girls would never have children again, or, or never have children. Period. I should say. Look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to take a break, and uh, we'll come back and we'll uh, wrap up the, the, the bottom half of the show. This is uh, John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll be back after this.
Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane, and of course, that's uh, Murray Porter with Babby John's band, um, Little White Lies. And you know, there are lies uh, of fact, and then there's lies of omission. And you know, I, what I try to do with this show is provide people with information. And look, I, is it happy information? No, it isn't. Most of the history is is, is pretty terrible. But this isn't about trying to trigger the trauma that native people have experienced you know uh, historically intergenerationally it's about almost celebrating the fact that we've persevered through all this i mean everything that our that our our families have gone through our ancestors have gone through and you know i i can be as critical as anyone about uh decisions that were made by past generations that you know uh, gave up land or 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 didn't teach the language or you know um didn't stand strongly enough to to defend you know you know some of our cultural practice and that kind of stuff and 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 i'm not i don't really condemn the people of the past but i know that were decisions made and 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 they were tough decisions based on the the shoes that they were wearing the paths that they were on at the time but for any complaint that I might have about what decisions were made by uh, those who 
came before us. We're still here. We have the the power to make decisions that will uh, affect our uh, our future. We can't do anything about the past, but we shouldn't forget it. We should know what took place in the past. We should know what our ancestors went through, and we should be proud that we that for those of us here that we we didn't just survive it. We persevered, and we're still doing so. All right. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank uh, uh, Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises. I want to thank the good folks at uh, um, Grand River Enterprises and Native Wholesale Supply. And I want to encourage people to um, to step up and and you know, sponsor our show. Do more to support what we're doing here. Because the more support we get, the more we can do. I mean, it's, it's our hope that this coming year, not only are we going to do more videos, we, in fact, we've got one on, uh, we're working on, we got one in process. Um, but we'd like to do a full-length documentary. Um, we need some equipment to do so. So uh, for those of you who are, are trying to, you know, look to, looking to what they could do that could help our cause, and I don't mean my cause, I mean our as, as Native people, help us teach, inform, um, and encourage encourage people to stand up you know it isn't enough to say that our existence is our resistance because we have to decide what are we existing as we talk about identity all the time here so we need your support i'm grateful to those you know those entities i mentioned who support us every week or every month i i'm i'm very grateful but you know that keeps the lights on that keeps us going that you know helps us battle our crazy internet circumstance that we're always battling here but it it doesn't allow us to to grow or expand much. I we need your support for that. So as we close out this year, we got one more show, one more show this uh uh this year. <laughs> uh but as we enter into 2020, I'm I'm hoping we can get Look, I I've had a bunch of bunch of businesses here in Cattaraugus and and uh, and other places on Awanda that that have supported this um you know Let's talk native and, and the work that I've done, even including some of the writing that I have done in the past. I'd love to see some folks step up and um, maybe dig in. You know, I, I, we had some support from Tindanega and Six Nations. We, you know, we we had some of those folks, uh, not so much anymore. So the more of you who step up, the more that we can do, um, and you know, and bring other people involved and get more people involved in what we're what we're doing. So, um, but I do want to thank those who support, and I'm and I'm going to encourage more to, to do so. Um, but I also want to thank those who share the show, those who share the, the podcast, the videos, the um, you know the, the the Twitter feeds, all all of that stuff. Um, you are what enable us to uh, to get the word out. I can I can produce the content, Jake and I we can reproduce the content, but it requires word of mouth for uh, you know for some of these messages to be spread. So I want to I want to thank those of you who do, including my wife. Um, but I also want to encourage more people to, to do that as well. All right. Um, so I, again, I've I've talked about the how tragic December uh, has been for Native people, and it's not like there hasn't been terrible things that have happened throughout the year. I mean, there's a there's a real denial uh, about what the Native experience has been and where we fit into in, into American history, and and. And again, just like me mentioning the context of uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and uh, you know and the execution of Mankato, Minnesota, putting those things into perspective, I think is important. 
understanding what was happening on the heels on on the very heels of the massacre at Wounded Knee would be the United States doing uh, a, an armed takeover essentially of um, of Hawaii, and then on the heels of uh, this the the fraud committed against this illegal occupation of Hawaii would be the United States going into the Philippines and Guam and and, and other places. So, I mean, it's it's interesting when you hear the history because there's when when people talk about American imperialism. They make it sound like it started when the United States would go into Hawaii or into the South Pacific or, you know, in, uh, into the Caribbean, uh, Puerto Rico and such. It's like what, what native people experience. In fact, there's a book called True Flag by Stephen Kinzer. And one of the quotes that I heard him give in, uh, in a talk show was he said that American troops for the first time in the Philippines, in the, in the Philippines, for the first time, American troops found themselves firing upon people fighting for their independence. And I'm thinking, well, that's a load of bullshit. What the hell do they think Native people were fighting for? There had been two centuries of, you know, of white people, or three centuries. I mean, uh, there there had been, you know, uh, uh, this uh, this invasion of of Native people's lives, their lands, their, their, their communities, that had gone on, you know, for... Uh, for far longer than just what took place during the Spanish-American War. But see, there's no context to it. People don't think about, well, when Western New York is celebrating the, the idea that, that Theodore Roosevelt became president, essentially, in Western New York. Why? Because the, the president, he was the vice president, and the president was assassinated. So while Western New York will, will sing the praises of, of Theodore Roosevelt becoming the president of the of the United States in western New York and that he was a New Yorker you know uh, they will ignore some of the heinous things that uh, that Roosevelt was responsible for I mean one of the, the things that he he wanted to do more than anything was to shoot somebody he hoped to get involved in in what he claimed was going to be freeing Cuba from Spain he thought he was going to get a chance to shoot somebody. He was kind of appalled when he found out when he went to Cuba that Cuba, the, the Cubans fighting for independence, many of them were black. He couldn't imagine that. You mean, I'm going to stand with black people shooting against Europeans? I mean, this is the bizarre nature of the of this thing. I mean, even, you know, guys like Mark Twain who opposed Roosevelt. Mark Twain, you know, was was so against American imperialism, but doesn't have a whole lot to say about what the native experience was with American imperialism. So as we go through this new year, we're gonna try to we're gonna try to put our history in context, not just with American history, but with world history. What what was happening elsewhere? And and, and again, part of it is that our own people don't know. You know, we we look at our experience with with the United States or with the, with the individual states um, almost in a vacuum. We don't look at what was happening. Oftentimes, to the extent that Native people interacted with each other, we were pitted against each other. The, the United States, the states themselves, they tried to figure out ways that they could get Native people, you know, fighting against Native people. In uh, the same way that they uh, they tried to use, you know, um, freed. Um, and you know, enslaved black men 
to take up arms against Native people. I mean, when I talk about that Homestead Act, the ones who were encouraged to take, uh, to, uh, you know, to get free land, free Native land, Indian land. I mean, they've advertised it as that Indian land for, you know, for free or for sale. Uh, they encouraged uh, uh, the newly freed slaves to do that. In fact, the only people who could qualify uh, for the Homestead Act were people who could prove that they had never taken up arms against the United States. So all the 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 the, the rebels, the Confederate rebels, they couldn't they couldn't uh, apply for uh, for land. Of course, the the system was so wroth with fraud that who knows, you know, who really, you know, uh, I, I guess they could document who really got most of that land, but Native people couldn't because. We had taken up arms against the United States, so Native people couldn't even file for uh, for for free land from the land that was taken from from them. They they were uh, they were disqualified. They were prohibited from the Homestead Act. Rebels uh, in the South were prohibited, but good solid Northern white men and freed slaves. Although it was touted as that, in fact, that it was one of the things that. Lincoln, you know, proposed as part of what would be Reconstruction, but I don't know how many how many black families really uh, um, were encouraged to do so. I mean, it's not like there wasn't plenty of racism that, that to go around. Not just for, I mean, in this situation, the North was claiming that they were and they were all for you know uh, granting equality and citizenship to, to to black people, but that wasn't happening to white uh, to Native people for uh, you know for quite some time. In fact. By the time there would be an effort to uh, to even consider where Native people fit, fit into the uh, into the the mix, they wouldn't offer citizen citizenship. They would try to impose it. Nineteen twenty four, turn of the century. Even as American imperialism is taking place, there was still imperialism taking place uh, on the continent. There was still the United States trying to uh, subjugate Native people because we were still here. Our numbers were down. Much of what L. Frank Baum was looking for, this extermination, much of it happened. I mean, but there wasn't the total annihilation that he was calling for. They they come up with other tactics for doing that. Impose their citizenship, residential schools, uh, starvation, you know, uh, failure... You know, most people don't realize that the the many of the the so called uprisings were born specifically out of the failure of the United States, going back to Lincoln and before. I mean, that when the Cherokee were moved off of their lands and uh, out to Oklahoma, it would be over a decade before the Cherokee would get the payment that was supposed to be the reason for for moving them. It would take it would take over a decade. So that's how long. The fraud would continue, and we could argue that we were never made whole. You know, certainly the the fraud associated with with these land deals, these treaties. Uh, it's not just about breaking the treaties; it's about not ever paying up. So, but this is what's not ever put into proper context. And when you most you know most Americans don't know enough about their own history anyway. But the little bit that is put out there, you know singing the praises of the founding fathers. I mean, you listen to all this this talk about, you know, the Constitution, what a great document it was. No, it wasn't. In fact, I mentioned Mark Twain. Mark Twain, in in uh, in light of what was happening in the Philippines and with American imperialism, 
he basically you know uh, said that uh, they should change the the declaration of independence they should change some of the language and it should say that you know, um just government uh can only come from the consent of white people because they didn't have consent of of people of color in any of the actions that they did so when you look at the constitution and the declaration of independence the foundational documents of the united states it was all about white people so when when people get mad at me because they say oh you're always spinning that that race card look it's it's the foundation of the united states slavery land theft murder massacres the rape culture I mean that's that's you know all born out of out of the racism that is you know, that was a, a part of the American character the European character I should say so I don't bring it up just to be hateful or spiteful or angry I just bring it up as a matter of fact I mean Al Frank Baum he he calls them the whites are the conquerors of the continent he didn't say Americans I mean this is this is the famed American author. He, he he specifically says the whites, by virtue of you know uh, you know uh, of conquest, were masters of the American continent. So, anytime somebody gets a little bit disturbed because they think that I'm playing the race card, I mean I don't know what the heck, what, what that is. I mean most people would not associate L. Frank Baum as a white supremacist, but if you delve into it, you find out he Teddy Roosevelt every every president. Uh, right up to the current one. That's why we call the President of the United States Ronda de Gaius. We call him that because they have destroyed. That's what they do. Including the guy who uh, had, you know, some color to him. They all did. They all took a... We have historically been a problem. We were in the way. Like I said, we were considered um, an infestation on the land that otherwise was golden i mean it was the land it, it, it was the it was tr- incredible land the only problem for white people was that somebody else already lived there i mean this was i mean even as people talk about the rules of 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 um war i mean there were no rules here this was just about taking and the crazy thing is as we look at the economic situation today in the united states an economy that is really destined to crash. I know people say, yeah, look how good the Wall, the, the Wall Street's doing. My 401k. Look, that's not an indication of of, uh, of an economy that, that's stable. In fact, the fact that rich people have gotten richer makes the economy less stable. But you know how they used to solve it? They used to solve it by saying, okay, we're going to give poor people free land. We're going to take over another country. Well, we'll... We'll take over Australia, we'll take over Africa, we'll take over Asia, we'll take over, you know, uh, uh, all the native land. There was always this way that countries, the especially the the uh, the colonizers, the imperial countries, like like Great Britain, like the Europeans, like the United States. One of the ways they could always bolster economy was to expand, take land. Well, that's a little more difficult today. I mean the uh, the the earth is pretty well populated. Now I know I've, I had a few callers in uh, in New York who called through and said, "Oh yeah, but the, the native people are still living on way more land than they can use." <laughs> They're still holding that view. 
that there are indigenous populations throughout the world who could be forced off their land. I mean, that is still a sentiment that white people hold, even today. So, this idea that the way to bolster the economy, because you can't create, I mean, the the earth is only so big. And everybody thinks, well, how are you going to keep growing the economy? How do you grow an economy? Well, you, you can't keep consuming at a faster rate than the earth can produce. And the earth isn't getting any bigger. The population's growing. Although it may be slowing down a little bit, but it's still growing. I mean, it's still, I mean, there are still, especially pockets of population that are incredible. 10 million, you know, 15 million, you know, as many as 20 million people living in, in a congested area. That's unsustainable. And yet you will hear, still hear economists say, well, urban life is the, is the most efficient. Well, it might be efficient, but it's unsustainable because it's not that efficient. I mean, granted, you, you you can have a bunch of people living in a place like New York City who can take subways and they can use mass transit, but you still have people who have to have food trucked in, waste trucked out. I mean, and and it depends. You know, you, I watch what what it, what goes on with things like gentrification, where poor people black people in particular are being priced out of a place to live and people wonder well, what are you gonna do about the homeless crisis in, in los angeles well I'll, I'll tell you i see a homeless crisis every place because if you've got to pay a thousand dollars a month for a place to live in a cheap economy and you got to pay 10 times that amount in, in in places like seattle or uh san francisco or, or new york city i mean where's everybody else going to live so, one of the things that that and and I I had a quote uh, from John John Kennedy. Uh, let me see. Uh, he had, he talked about how the the Homestead Act was one of the greatest econo- economic stimuluses that was ever. Um, let me see. Let me find it here. Yeah, I don't see it right after that. But, uh, uh, but yeah, he he just thought it was great that um, that you could have. An economic stimulus just by going into into vacant lands. Of course, the whole idea that lands were vacant it wasn't necessarily true. You have to move people out of land to make it vacant. I mean, the doctrine of Christian discovery was based on this concept of what they call terra nullis, and it meant um, void, vacant land, void land. Because why? Because we weren't even considered human beings, and. Right up into the 20th century, that was still the the, uh, the view that was held. Racism is still based on a, on a hierarchy that that white people are the only ones who are truly human, are civilized, and that everybody else is something less than that. That's what that's the foundation of racism. And now you look across across the globe, you've got more nationalism more countries that are trying to become uh, exclusive, that are trying to, you know, um, push out people who aren't like them. You've got, you know, that's what you hear in, in Donald Trump and, and, the, and the Trumpsters that follow him. Even in India, you're seeing, you're, you're seeing this. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know why I said even India, but in India, you're seeing it. In, uh, in Great Britain, you see it. In France, you see it. 
in countries all over the world. I mean, uh, uh, you know, South America. You're seeing more and more countries that are trying to bring in what, you know, they call it nationalism, but it's really racism. In the United States, they stopped talking about white supremacy. They started talking about American exceptionalism. And that's just a euphemism. American exceptionalism. When you consider that, well, what is an American? What, what is the image you get of an American by default? It's a white person. Because if you're talking about black people, you'd say, you know, African-American or black American. If you're talking about Native people, you'd say Native American. If you're talking about a brown person speaking Spanish, you'd say a Latin American or Hispanic American. When you just use the word American, the assumption is you're talking about a white person. I mean, it's the it's the default person when you use the word. I mean, look, the word American doesn't even belong to the United States. I mean, America, are, you know, includes from Greenland down to the, the you know, the the tip of um, um, Chile. Which one is the one that goes all the way down the bottom? Yeah, Chile, I think. Yeah, I mean, so the tip of of South America, all the way including Great, that's what America is. Those, all those people are Americans by definition of the continents. But the United States says no. We're going to claim that word when we say Americans. We mean U.S. citizens, and when we say Americans, we mean white U.S. citizens. I mean, there's still a debate today. Are black people Americans? If they're Americans, why don't they have the same white, the same rights as white people? I mean, I'm not even claiming to be an American, so I don't need to be, be, need to be put in that, uh, you know, into that conversation. But racism is such a an, a, a big part of the. I mean, when you talk about American, I don't want to say culture, but character, the character of the United States is still heavily loaded with the exploitation. Of uh, of people of color, and it's hard to say. Well, uh, uh, so are black people legally Americans? Well, you would think so by legal definition, but in practice, if they don't have the same rights as white people, then they aren't they aren't really Americans, are they? I mean, you, you I mean, that, that's the debate that has to be had, right? All right, so. Again, you know, as we've wrapped, and I'm not going to dwell on on what a morose uh, month December is on our final show of the year, but I did want to uh, address it today. And then, then when I got the bad news about my friend Ben Carnes passing away, I said, you know, I've, I've got to talk about um, just really what what December has represented for Native people. And and again, we've I'm impacted by it. My you know, look, I'm, I'm my birthday's in December. I mean, so yeah. There are people that come into the world on December as well. But historically, when I think about the the number of people, men, women, and children, who were murdered at the hands of the United States government, and their their military, their courts, their in their presidents, December's not a very good month. So um I'm I am hoping I'm optimistic for a new year, but it's hard for me to talk about happy holidays. And of course, there's there's not a holiday in the month of December that that's meaningful to me. So I want to thank you for listening. Um, please share the show. Look for our podcasts and look for our videos. Um, we were having a little bit of internet troubles today, so um, the best viewing of this show may be when we post the video up on YouTube uh, by tomorrow. So check it out and check out my show from New York. 
I did a I did a really good show in New York on um, uh, on the the mass uh, the the execution of Mankato, Minnesota. So check that out as well. And that that just got posted today. So this is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you on Tuesday. Yahweh.